Welcome to Untold Stories of Perth, Part 7. My name is Elsa Silberstein. I'm a West Australian storyteller and podcaster. In Part 6, you heard about the lives and achievements of Auntie Margaret Culbong and Auntie Muriel Bowie, two inspirational Aboriginal women on the City of Perth's Elders Advisory Group, forging the direction of reconciliation in this city. Wongi, my brother, doing it our way. Today, I'll bring you the stories of two more incredible Aboriginal elders who also sit on that advisory council. Auntie Irene and Uncle Albert McNamara both overcame injustices to bring Aboriginal culture back to systems that had previously worked against them, overcoming adversity and leading as elders in reconciliation. As Albert puts it, It's my turn now. And a warning. This episode includes some racially derogatory language that may be offensive to some listeners, but it's part of Uncle Albert's experience and what he went through. Irene and Albert McNamara are husband and wife. My grandmother was born in Madu country, that's Madu one mother country. My mother was born in Waluna, that's Yamaji country, and I was born in Perth, that's Nyungar country. I identify as a Yamaji and a Murning. Yamaji from the Murchison and Murning from Eucla. They both have personal experience with racial segregation. Albert's mother was taken away from her family as a child, and Irene grew up in a camp on the outskirts of the Moor River native settlement. Once I became school age, I was then put in the mission itself. And I would I lived in a one cottage where all the little ones when they started kindy. And then when you got older you moved in and got locked up in a big dormitory every night. Here's some context about the Moor River native settlement. It began in nineteen seventeen in the wake of the nineteen oh five Aborigines Act, which allowed the government to forcibly remove people from their homes. A.O. Neville saw the settlements as a means of integrating children from mixed descent into non-Indigenous society. Our spirituality was, um, I think, taken away from us, you know, by taking away our language, taking away our traditions. You know, you weren't allowed to be doing this, you're not allowed to be doing that. Overcrowding, disease and inadequate health and sanitary facilities persisted at Moor River throughout its existence. In 2018, research by the Aboriginal History WA unit showed that most of the 374 people who died at Moor River were children, and many succumbed to treatable respiratory and infectious diseases. We were locked up and there used to be, in the dormitory, there used to be a crack and Mum used to be always at that crack, you know, looking through and I'd be this side crying for her. And same with other little ones, we'd be all crying for our mums on the other side. Unlike other members of the Stolen Generations that were brought to Moor River, Irene was still able to keep in contact with her family. I was lucky, I suppose, in in one way because I saw my family all the time. Outside of Moor River, the settlement itself, they had what we call the camp where other members of family, my grandmother lived down in one of those camps. 
Irene's mother spoke in language to her, but they had to be careful about it. Because she said you'd be taken away. So, but she used to speak most of it because we understand her. We understood what she was talking about. Schooling opportunities stopped at a young age for Irene and she began working. And even when I worked, I gave all my money to my parents. They'd buy me what I need and and give me some money, you know. Um, Every Saturday, my two aunties and myself, we would go up to town and clean this one lady's house. Irene came to Perth when she was 18. She started doing some housekeeping nannying and worked in a Dutch biscuit factory. And that's when I realised that people didn't have to live on reserves and things. You know, people uh, were living in houses. In 1977, Irene started working in education. Well, then they were looking for Aboriginal people to work in so that, you know, when our little ones come to start um Kindy, they used to call it Kindy then, uh, they, they'll see our Aboriginal face and feel a bit more comfortable. Irene worked her way up and got a job in the head office of the education department. So everything was about Aboriginal and, uh, and we just in service schools on, you know, understanding. So Auntie Irene went from growing up in the Moor River Mission a system designed to diffuse Aboriginality, to working to bring her culture back to community. And around this time, her husband Albert was doing a similar thing. As an Aboriginal liaison officer, he brought school kids out to country and taught them to be proud of their culture. And Albert's path wasn't easy either. Well, I used to get called a lot of names, you know, in those days, because me and my brothers we were the only Aboriginal people out of school. Nigger, nigger, pull the trigger, bang, bang, bang. That's what they used to use in those days. And every day I went to school, I got reminded that I was, I was black. And I didn't need people to tell me that because I knew I was black. Despite the low expectations that were put onto Albert by teachers and peers at the school, he was driven and that was going to serve him for years to come. I made me mind up that I wanted to learn more. So uh, when I come out of school, I was looking around for a trade. I'm a wood machinist cabinet maker by trade. I was the only Aboriginal person that done that in, in the, the factory that I was working in. I started off cleaning the floors, sweeping the floors, going picking up morning teas, lunches, and you know stuff like that. I done all the dirty work, and then I got promoted up to doing um, spray painting, like with laminex and four mica on that. And then I stuck with it, and I done my after my five years. About to do five years in those days. I was the only Aboriginal person in that woodwork section and I had um, 18 blokes under me and I often thought to myself, well, what goes around comes around and it's my turn now. It was his turn. With more work experience under his belt, Albert's confidence grew and he started thinking about how he wanted to make a difference. This is when he switched to the education space as an Aboriginal liaison officer teaching kids culture and country. Then it was time to go into policy. I've been around Australia about about half a dozen times, I think it was. I've been to all the capital cities because I was with NAIDOC, the National NAIDOC Committee, 
and we used to allocate funding around different capital cities. And I used to do a bit of travelling, meet different people. And I thought, gee, this is pretty good. Of course, you're learning about other cultures and, you know, better understanding. Because when I used to go to some of them places, I could work up, walk up to the first Aboriginal person and say, hey, how you going, mate? Do you know such and such? He said, oh, you've got family just down the road. But if I'd done that with the bodger, they'd say to me, I'll bugger off you, you know. They wouldn't want to talk to you, especially, in the, you know. But now I'm working with, still with other departments and organisations, but I'm enjoying it. And I'm still hanging around, I'm 76, and I'm still hanging around trying to, you know, support our people. Albert McNamara worked in state education policy in WA for more than a decade. Albert and Irene tell stories for the Looking Forward project, which aims to improve the way mental health, drug and alcohol services are delivered to Noongar people, and both of them were awarded the NAIDOC Aboriginal Elder Award. Albert in 2008, and Irene 10 years later in 2018. Auntie Irene and Uncle Albert are part of the 10 members of the City of Perth's Elders Advisory Group, overseeing the City of Perth's Reconciliation Action Plan and advising the city on the important issues, because it's their turn now. It's my turn now. It's my turn now.